What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 154. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Well, well, well. Look who comes crawling back. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't stay away. Honestly, it felt it felt weird to say 154 because I know I haven't said 153 yet. So <laughs> that was uh, I almost tripped up there, but it is really good to be back. I'm very glad to be back. It's honestly impressive that you remember the episode numbers that well. I have to check before everyone. Well, I do all the editing and stuff, so I see it a lot. But you did a great job last week, though. I was I, I mean, I went through and edited the episode, even though it was super late. Sorry about that, folks. But yeah. You did good. Thanks. I thought you were going to say super lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, your draft. I mean, I'm not. I'm not commenting on your drafting skills, but the the draft may or may not have been lame. Uh, th- this we're not going to comment on. But I will say, I did trophy with that vintage cube deck. So everyone that stuck with me, uh, you actually may have learned something. Whether it was just to not maybe not draft dream holes properly, uh, I, I've since learned that's not how you're supposed to use dream holes. You're supposed to play in a storm deck. But I guess I was kind of using it in a fair way. In my gameplay, I did have an opportunity to use it, uh, but it ended up making more sense to sequence things differently, and I never got to cast it, and then it just didn't show up in my other games. So maybe next time, Vintage Cube. I'll see you later, Dream Halls. All right. Well, before we get into the meat of this episode, of course, do check out our Discord. If you're not already in there, it's the best place to be to chat with us, chat with the rest of the Traficionado community, and you know, discuss picks, trophies, all those sorts of things. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. Supporters over there get perks like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, pre-show recordings, which, you know, this week's pre-show recording may or may not have a little bit of a hint as to what we're doing for our anniversary. More on that later. And then you also get access to our draft draft hero cards signed by us and sent to you. And again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. All right. On to our crack draft type thing this week. Looks like we've got another pack one pick one. What's going on, Ben? Yeah, we've just got a random pack one pick one here from mom. Still loving this set. Still having a lot of fun with it. Haven't gotten as many chances to draft it recently, but there've been some interesting developments with the set according to 17 lands. So uh, let's take a look at this pack. Uh, first out, we got Cyber Cryptomancers. What an annoying little trick. Uh, it's it's pretty solid, but, you know, not a first pick. Chomping Kavu. This guy, something about the art is kind of funny to me. It almost looks like someone turned on flashlight. Uh, almost like you turn on a flashlight and see like a deer staring back at you in the woods, except I think I'd rather have a deer staring at me than this thing. One's going to chomp you. The other is probably going to run. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think I want to take this that early. We're really at all. Alabaster Host Intercessors up next. I played a handful of these. Uh, they're maybe not a top three white common, like, I don't know, like a certain host predicted. Not going to name who that was. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're still pretty good. It feels feels great when you top take this at the right time. Yeah. Again, I mean, any of the cyclers have been pretty solid in this format. And I've liked this one as a top end removal spell with a body. You know, it's, it's a fine card. Again, not really looking to first pick it, but um, happy to see them really any later than this. Furtive Analyst is up next. The, the blue creatures are all pretty solid, but even this one, this is just not the best. Like two mana to loot. I prefer to not have to pay for that at all. Next is Attentive Sky Warden. That's the three mana two two flyer that flips um, uh, the 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 guys. Wow, well done. <laughs> this is the kind of high quality content you can expect. Uh, remember to like, comment, and subscribe for for more high quality <laughs> memory from your hosts. Uh, I've actually found a couple homes to this one. I had a Bant Incubators deck. It had a couple of uh, 
maybe each of the, I, I had the corruption of Tawashi, uh, and then I had the white one, whatever that one was, the white enchantment that, that also incubates, uh, incubate four, I think that one does. And curving this into some of those other ones, um, even just like Eyes of Gataxius, a couple of those in the deck, this actually did some heavy work. Uh, it functionally netted me two, four mana in certain games. Uh, while also chipping it in the sky and, I guess, trading with the better half of a preening champion sometimes. So uh, I've gone up on this card a little bit, but it's still very vector-specific, not a first pick. Yeah, absolutely something you need the support in uh, in your deck for. Um, a three-mana 2-2 two, two flyer in this format isn't really where you want to be, so you really need to make sure you're flipping those incubate tokens. Next up, Dreg Recycler. I like this little two-mana 2-2. Two, two. Uh, it's really good in Black Red Sack. Uh, if you get to curve this into the turn against, then you're really doing it, but... Outside of that, it's it's just still pretty solid. Uh, I play as many of these in blue-black as I usually take. I'll happily play like two. But once you get your opponent down to five, they've just got to kill this at some point or you just run away with the game. Zalfir and Shapecraft is up next. Another card that maybe a certain co-host was adamant would be very strong and kind of wasn't. Uh, I, I have no memory of who, which co-host it was, though, so... Naturally, your memory's been failing you pretty badly this pack. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a great memory pack for me. But uh, anyway, th- I, I've played this once or twice. If you are specifically in blue-white and you have ways to make use of this, uh, for example, Wrath. If you can draw a card off of this with Wrath and maybe with, uh, I don't know, some, some small bodies that do really get a benefit from this. Um, it turns out this doesn't pair super well with Incubators because you're already spending a lot of mana flipping them and... and doing other things, maybe drawing cards off Corruption of Tawashi. So you don't really need this effect. We've got, wow, Thragtusk here, Converter Beast. And uh, I've gone up on this one quite a bit. I say Thragtusk. It's actually a little cheaper than Thragtusk. It costs uh, four instead of five. (laughs) Zach is giving me a look. Uh, Anyway, this makes a a zero one. But then a five power incubate token, five counters on that thing. It's huge. And the flexibility of when you get to flip it, this front half, this O1, usually ends up chumping to gain you like three, four, five Thrag Tusk amounts of life. And then that backside is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd ever really want to spend six mana on a five, six, like just a vanilla five, six. This isn't quite that. You do have two bodies. You do get to spread the mana over two turns. The incubator tokens matter in certain decks and like have a relevant creature type and such. So it's not quite a five mana five, six or a six mana five, six, but it it kind of feels like that. I have also come up on this card. I'll I'll admit since the beginning of the format and in the right home, this card really shines, but certainly not card that I'm looking to first pick. Oh, I get it now. It's actually a honey mammoth. Remember the uh, the six mana, six, six ETV gain six, or I think there was a worm in another set that did four in, in uh, call time. Yeah, this is like that because it costs six to get both halves. And then part of it, you just throw away to Trump and you gain like seven life when you Trump one of their giant incubate tokens or something. Right. <laughs> I don't think I've convinced you. Uh, let me know in the discord if I've convinced you that this is actually a honey mammoth. Next up is coming in hot. Uh, it's a red combat trick that doesn't really see play. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sums it up pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> let's get into the uncommons. Uh, our multiverse legend is out first. We've got Raph. Just mentioned him. I like Raph, although blue white, oh, yeah. uh, blue white's vector tends to be a little more aggressive. I mean, with the knight strategy, you tend to want to smack in, uh, maybe convoke something while tapping your creatures. Raph does pair well with that stuff, uh, so I don't mind this as like a one of uh, in the knights deck. But I don't love building a defensive blue white deck. I think maybe 
you just got to be careful with this one. If you are trying to have a nice Knights curve out, you want a three one, not a one three. Uh, but this can play a good role. Maybe if you're trying to go over the top, a little more mid rangey in, in the Knights deck. Raph is secretly the top end of blue white Knights decks mm, because yeah. all you really care about is activating that five mana ability. It's pretty good. Yeah. Nice little overrun. Oh, speaking of blue white Knights, uh, Marshall of Zalfir is up next here. And this, the, mm. the bear, the night lord the two mana one uh, the most in a deck i've had is three because <laughs> you say there's that only, like you should have more <laughs> yeah I, I mean i actually could have i actually could have i passed one because <laughs> i wasn't sure where i was yet but it became very clear you weren't very sure quickly. where you were yet it, it was it was like the second one i wasn't it okay, was between okay, that okay. and something else so it was uh it became very clear that uh, white uh, the blue white knights was open and that's the funny thing if you're not in blue white knights you don't want this and there's even sometimes yeah. like a like a jeskai spells convoke deck that doesn't want this as much although it is just good in any deck that can cast it yeah i think people get stuck on that first line where it buffs knights and don't really realize that like two mana tap tap anything is really good so yeah yeah it, it'll go in any deck that can play it but most people won't prioritize it unless you're in the knight's deck so you usually can pick them up when you need them which might make me want to first pick it less i still think this is a first pickable card though and i'm generally pretty happy to scoop this up first pick yeah honestly it's my pick out of the pack so far sam next up we've got mirror shield hoplite this is kind of the cousin of the uh the marshal of zalfir but the red white one instead this is the one that kind of duplicates all your backup abilities uh, and it's a Vigilance and it's a 2-2. This card is secretly kind of scary. I think we've been down on, on red, white, and the aggressive colors for a little bit. But the white decks, I think, have, have finally picked up some steam. I think people finally know how to draft them, myself included. And uh, when I have like a junky red, white deck, usually Mirror Shield Hoplite is the thing that makes me go, oh, okay, this this hand can actually win a game. Yeah, when this thing goes off, it goes off. And I've, I have seen that situation where they play it. And I'm just like, based on what I've seen from the deck so far, this thing needs to die immediately. Uh, that said, it is very vector specific. You can't really just put this in any red white deck. Now there are a lot of backup cards in red and white, so you sort of can just put it in any red white deck. But if you pick this up early, you really want to build and lean into the backup thing and make this kind of the start of your deck. I once had an impressively bad red white draft. It was a total train wreck. Uh, I had one of these in the deck, and as I started playing it, I was like, "Wait a minute." do I have any backup? And I, I checked, I actually had zero cards with backup in Oof. my pool. <laughs> and yet uh, I actually did play it anyway. Two mana, two, two vigilance and people would just auto kill it. Oh, because, it's a lightning rod. Yeah. yeah. If you want to, if you want to kind of stifle the red white deck from doing its thing, you just kill this <laughs> joke was on them, I guess. <laughs> Way to bluff. We've got a, uh, an invasion here, an invasion of Bellanon. This is the three mana one that makes a two, two knight flips into an anthem best invasion in the set um <laughs> to you <laughs> yeah no, i'm kidding i'm kidding yeah this um, what do we say d tier at best uh, i forget I put it in c i think but we were adamantly against each other that vehemently i should say against each other that one uh it's between that and like the eldraine one i think that we were both on opposite yeah. ends of but either way not not the best no not not the pick here either way we've got a, a pretty cool rare here a very unique one one that feels like it doesn't belong in the set uh it's heliod yeah, I don't think Heliod is that good in this format. I mean, it's fi- it's a format of four four with upside, so it's obviously good. But like, what white decks really want this card? I've only seen that first ability uh, to bring back an enchantment triggered once, and it was a black white deck that was self milling themselves, and they happened to hit a pacifism into the graveyard, and then they got it back. That was kind of cool, but I don't know. That's not really the type of thing I want to be doing in this format when. 
Farah's dispersal exists. <laughs> and like, right. There's all these nonsensical ways to make black, white look silly. Um, although this is more of a blue, white card than anything. So, uh, but even, even then, still, like the blue, white decks don't really want this. Like you think about your traditional yeah, blue white knights deck, yeah. you really don't want this as your four drop. You'd rather have like, uh, the, the Zephyr guy. Yeah. And the back half of this, the four, six that lets you flash stuff in. Yeah. That's cool. Right. You can cast up with flash, but it's not card advantage. I mean, compare this to Pelucranos, uh, a pretty similarly templated rare, uh, Pelucranos just demolishes this card at the head. Yeah. Uh, the back side of that provides real advantage and the front side is super well statted. This, the ability is just not along any vectors that are really supported in the set. So it uh, feels a little out of place. So uh, what's the pick here? Yeah, I'm on Marshall of Zelfir. Yeah, uh, I, I think I am too. I Now putting that up against the Wrath feel, feels kind of strange and passing the Wrath isn't great either. Maybe you put someone else in a blue white by accident. Even with the Heliod, maybe someone takes the Heliod and says, oh, that card has blue and white in it, right? But uh, I, I think it's still the correct pick. Even though it's multicolored, even though it's to a two drop, even though you probably would never cast this in a deck that isn't literally blue white knights, the expected value of starting with the Marshall is just so high. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, a very strong possibility that you pass, like you take anything in this pack and you pass Marshall's Alfier, you're not getting in Knights anyway. Like you're, you're, I yeah. guess you could still cut it, but like coming back the other direction, you're probably not going to see any knights come your way. I think it's just safer to hedge on this, take it. And then, you know, if you don't see knights coming your way from the right, then fine, you don't play it. But, you know, we try to preach not marrying your first pick anyway. All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, I haven't really heard from you in a while. What's up? Hmm. Let's see. Man, if only you were on the show last week, you would have heard. <laughs> Oh my goodness. (laughs) So uh, it's the end of the school year for me. Those that don't know, I teach high school and uh, we are winding down. We've got finals next week, uh, which also means it's hyper busy. Uh, I told Zach before the show, I I think every hour of my day has been booked with something, whether it was making a quiz or prepping review guides or tutoring after school or uh, all sorts of nonsense. So I I feel like I haven't had much time for too much uh, good stuff recently. that's of course eaten into a little bit of my sleeping time as my, my table tends to be on the show. Uh, but I've been doing, I've been doing better now. Uh, my Teferi, it's also that it's the end of the school year. Uh, I'm going on a trip to Vermont this weekend. That'll be, that'll be pretty cool. Cool. Uh, four hour drive up. And I did get to play some good magic this past weekend. I got to play some cube, got to play some, uh, Dominari remastered more on that in a bit. How about you? You went on a whole trip. I hear pretty good. Excuse. Yeah, I was, that's true. Yeah. As, as excuses to miss the show go. Um, I was in San Francisco all week for a work trip, um, which is pretty great. Then, you know, I got to do all the the typical sort of touristy things. I saw the Golden Gate Bridge. I went to Pier 39, which is like this wharf that is fun and has all these sea lions and stuff. Cool. Got to watch sea lions fight each other. That was pretty fun. And uh, <laughs> it was actually really weird. So there's like a, there's like a series of docks kind of in like a, a three by three grid. They're like little square docks basically. Sure. And they're just sea lions covering them. But the one in the very center had a ring of sea lions around it in the middle of which two sea lions were fighting to push each other off the, <laughs> off of the platform. It was so weird huh. that they had set up the middle one as like the de facto, like fight ring. It, it sea just, lion culture. It, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> Getting to know the locals. Yeah. And, uh, it was funny. We were at the golden gate bridge and a, a colleague of mine was like, do you think I can fly my drone here? And I was like, well, this is technically a national park. So I'm pretty sure that's illegal. And he goes, Oh, 
And then two minutes later, I hear (laughs) (laughs) as this drone goes up into the air. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm sure you got some good footage. I can't wait to see it, but, uh, cold. And unfortunately, like I, you know, I live just outside of New York city and I thought uh, like hearing people talk about the homeless problem in, in California, I always thought it was like hyperbole. It's just not, they're everywhere and nobody does Mm -hmm. anything about it. It's really sad. So that was uh, a more sobering part of the, of the trip, but Outside of that, had some incredible food. We went to a bunch of really cool restaurants and um, it was nice to see a different city. Not sure it's a place that I'd want to live full time, but it was uh, it was a good trip. Uh, coming back from that trip, I had a bunch of stuff going on that weekend. I saw my first baseball game, which is Whoa, like ever? kind of fun, I guess. Yeah, ever. Well, I mean, I'm not a baseball guy. I played hockey for 11 years. So going from hockey to baseball is like really exciting to really boring. So <laughs> uh, I wasn't like... I actually like don't think I watched most of the game, but it was a good game as far as like scores and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think I, it was a Yankees game. I think the Yankees scored seven runs in one inning. So like everybody's mm. making jokes about them playing football and making a touchdown or scoring a touchdown. And so that was fun. And I was with like a ton of my friends. So it, it was a good like kind of social environment that was it was enjoyable and then had a Memorial Day picnic. So, yeah, it was like a whole lot of stuff happening all at once. Very, awesome. very exciting, fun filled week. Um, a note on baseball, uh, no other sport requires you to get up and yawn halfway through it. So yeah, <laughs> it's maybe it's golf. Part, it's part of the culture. Well, they don't mandate it. They don't have a moment specifically designed for you to be <laughs> stretching, right? <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah. My tip this week is really not for this week, but that, um, June is going to probably be the busiest month in recent memory for me. I have stuff going on constantly throughout the month of June and I'm not super ready for it. Um, Hmm. next week I'll be away again. Hopefully we can figure something out to make it so that I'm not away from the show, but, um, I'll be traveling for work again next week. So lots going on there. And then the end of the weekend, I've got like a retreat plan. So it's yeah, whole lot going on. Um, hopefully I can manage it, but we'll see how that goes. All right. On to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Dorigan over at Pass Left Drafts. Check him out on YouTube because this stuff's really good. But the question is, you're approached by the MTGO team to build a new cube that's not the draft half cube, something entirely new. What themes do you go for? This is a fun one. There's a couple themes that I wish I could have gotten into the draft draft cube that just just didn't make it. Uh, I, I think Enchantress is we have some Enchantress sub themes, but it had to kind of get cut from green, white in favor of the uh, ridiculous Splinter Twin deck <laughs> that exists there now. Uh, the green, white, infinite combos. Uh, I think equipment. I'd love to have in there uh, allies. So these are some actually. All right. These are some ones that existed in the original draft draft cube, but had to get modified or cut. Uh, allies set a really interesting power level because they, they snowball really quickly. They can do some really busted stuff, but the best ones are often just straight up draft chaff. They're, they're just like good uncommons. Um, that that would have been kind of cool to uh, to include in there. Some different tribe synergies might have been neat to include. Uh, we don't really have too much going in the ways of, of tribes this time around. Uh, actually, when I saw what themes do you, do you go for, the first thing I thought was what would the theme of the whole cube be? And uh, (laughs) a fun option for this might be like a Zendikar theme cube. I I love Zendikar. Probably my second favorite plane behind Innistrad. And getting to to theme the cube with uh, all good Zendikar bangers. Just think of the landfall synergy. Oh, my God. Like fetch lands would be just first picks. That'd be really fun. Uh, Maybe another option would be to have some sort of some sort of like mythical inspired cube. Uh, 
maybe drawing from Lorwyn, drawing from um, Eldraine, especially because we're getting a new Eldraine set coming up, which I keep forgetting about. What's going on in Eldraine right now? Like, I guess we got to figure that out. Yeah, who knows? How about you? What themes would you jam into this cube? All right, so there were like two or three that I thought of off the top of my head, and then I actually did some exploring because I was curious. I, I'm not super privy to like the cube subgenre of content created around magic and and that whole subcategory of fans um and by that i mean like cube generation like the people who make cubes for fun um so i did a little bit of research and found some that i was really excited about that i think would be actually really cool and i may make one of these because this sounds really fun anyway okay so i'll start with the ones that i had i had thought of the first one that came to mind which is kind of weird was birds like just a whole bird theme <laughs> cube. Um, every creature is a bird. All the art has birds in it. Like everything. Just oh, birds man. everywhere. I don't know if there's enough of that for that. <laughs> for a 360 cube, I think we could figure it out. I think yeah. we could make it happen. What's the best bird in magic? You keep talking. I'm going to look this up. All right. So birds was the first one. The second one that came to mind was a guild cube. And I don't mean like a Ravnica set cube, but like the cube designed to properly represent each of the five, each of the, what, 10 guilds. And um, include cards that have like the set mechanics for all the guilds and all those kinds of things. And it would span across all the Ravnica sets, I suppose. Um, and maybe even a couple of, I think there were a couple of uh, like, um, I forget what they called them, even the core sets, right? I think mm. a couple of the core sets had um, guild mechanics in them, but they would also have, of course, like the the classic gates kind of stuff going on. But in general, it would be built around each of the each of the guilds. Did you find the best bird yet? Well, after a little bit of research, I think we can settle on either Birds of Paradise or Yorian. Mm, yeah, Yorian's probably taking the cake for me. But yeah, that would be fun. Um, the other one that I thought of was like an... I don't know which which of this I would be able to build. I originally thought Instance and Sorceries cube. So like that's the only card type in the cube. Instance and Sorceries. Or maybe if that wasn't super feasible, just a non-creature cube would be very up my alley. So those were the three that I thought of. There were two that I found that I thought would be interesting. One was a this card not included cube, which essentially was that you'd build a whole cube as if it were meant to be built around a single card and then not include that card, (laughs) which I think would be really funny. How would that even work? I don't know. The example they gave was like you put a bunch of tokens in or like counters and then not include double season, doubling season. That seems kind of like a lame example to me, but that was the one I saw. So I guess that's the idea. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think that could be very cool with the right creativity, but the one that I'm really excited about and one that I think would be really, really fun is an anti cube. And by that it's like anti up cards when you play with people and you steal cards from each other's pools based on wins and all that kind of stuff. And because it's a, it's a cube, you're not keeping the cards anyway. So there's no real like risk in like, Oh, I'm going to lose my whole deck or whatever. But like there's still some of that to in terms of making your record through the through the course of the draft. Right. Like I huh. think that'd be really interesting. Maybe like maybe different cards have different anti values. The better cards are worth more. And then maybe to enter the game, you have to anti up at least 20 anti points worth of, of cards. And that might be like maybe your best card is five anti points. Right. And then you have to like give up or potentially ante up some great cards in your deck. That that'd be kind of fun, or maybe good things. Oh, but that would influence drafting too. Then you would want to hate draft high anti value cards just so you have them in your pool to trade. Right. Well, so the the thing would be, I think the way I would want to run this, and I I would have to play test it a bunch. But you either ante two or three cards, maybe maybe one. I guess we could do it in a point value sort of thing where you have to ante a minimum number of points. Um, 
in a 40 card deck, I think anteing anything, it would be, would be really relevant because like it's, it's fewer cards, but you'd have to ante something from your deck, not from your pool. So you can't just ante something that you're not running in your deck. And then if you lost, you obviously lose the cards you anteed. You'd have to fill those slots into your 40 card deck by cards in your sideboard. So that would influence sort of how you draft as well, because you want to make sure that you don't just have like a bunch of crap to put back in your deck if you're going to lose a game. So yeah, I don't know. I think it would be really fun. I don't know what the actual like cube structure design would look like. I'd think it'd have to be relatively simple to start and then kind of make it more complex as, as I figured out the rules for the anti mechanics. But I don't know. That sounds really intriguing. I kind of want to build it. Mm. Let's jump into the main topic of the show today. It's 11sies. Now, uh, gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. Uh, you may be thinking, but what about breakfast? Well, you've already had it. Uh, and then, yeah, sure, you've had one. But maybe what about second breakfast? Uh, uh, anyway, I, I hope you know about second breakfast, Zach. Yeah, yeah, I know about second breakfast. I know about 11sies. <laughs> I get it. Let's let's get into it. Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? <laughs> All right. I don't think he knows about them. So uh, 11sies, I thought it'd be kind of fun as we're kind of reacquainting uh, Zach to the show, kind of diving back in here. Uh, we got a lot to catch up on. A lot has happened in the last two weeks in Magic. So I thought we would cover the 11sies, sorry, uh, the, the 11 most important things that have happened. It's just 11 little bullet points uh, for us to, to chat about uh, all across Magic from formats to outside the game type things to, well, you'll, you'll see. Number one, let's check in with March of the Machine. Uh, blue and black, still doing good, but white decks, they're really creeping up. They're coming out of nowhere. In fact, uh, according to Sirkovitz's analysis, red, green, and red, white were some of the uh, the top performers in the last couple of weeks. Have we finally found the mythical self-correcting draft format? Kind of sounds like it. <laughs> I I kind of was always high on the white decks, uh, at least the the blue white ones. <laughs> mm. um, that was my favorite my favorite vector from the beginning of the format. But it's nice to see red white and red green green popping up and creeping up kind of the seventeen lands data because those decks felt abysmal to start. Uh, and and it's nice to kind of see. I mean, they weren't quite as bad as red green in my opinion, but yeah, there it's nice to see that that there is some self correction here, especially given. We've been in this rut, or at least, and I've talked about this a few times now on the show. It's felt to me like we've been in this rut of sets where we just have an, like, the format is kind of wacky in the beginning. People are figuring things out. And then there's just an aggro deck that takes the cake and runs the boards. And you can't, like, you're, it's like you draft that or you shouldn't bother drafting. This feels good that we're seeing a mix up midway through the set. It's been a long time, I feel, since we've seen something like this. So I like it. I'm here for it. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of Dominaria United, which is a very good thing to remind me of because that's maybe my favorite draft set ever. Uh, maybe outside the Draft Shaft Cube. I genuinely adore the Draft Shaft Cube experience. It's awesome. Uh, but this is this is up there. And uh, DMU also had something similar where the white decks kind of got their second wind once people realized how to draft the big domain decks. And then people realized how to draft the go-wide white decks. Here, there's something kind of similar. It's not so much go wide as it is focusing on Knight's synergy and uh, this kind of tempo game plan they have with like bouncing and, and tapping things down. But it's a pretty similar experience. Uh, rather than go super in detail here, uh, Sirkovitz already went all over this on, on limited resources this past week. So I recommend you just pop over there, give it a listen, and, and also check out Sirkovitz's uh, Twitter thread on it, uh, as well as his recent episode of Magic Numbers. All right, so next week... Or actually, not next week. Last week, as I understand it, you got to do some pretty cool cubing with a couple of aficionados. How'd that go? Oh yeah, it was great. Uh, we had a Ratafia's cube, Ratafia in the Discord. It was it was a blast. It's a fun cube. Uh, a lot of cards that are 
powerful, but not like power nine level powerful. Got to do some pretty cool things. Uh, I drafted Obzon Reanimator. I thought I had a train wreck. Uh, I, I thought I had a, a, an awful thing going on my hands. I was, what did I first pick? It was Invasion of Tolvada, the black white reanimate siege. Uh, and I felt pretty good about that. Except then I was trying to like figure out how to get into green from there, but the green cards just never came. Turns out the person to my right opened Tarmogoyf. Uh, and went into green black. So I was being heavy cut from my right. Not good. Uh, but I wound up picking up enough good white cards, enough solid black cards. And funny enough, I splashed green for maybe the stupidest pile of cards you could imagine. I splashed green for Llanowar Elves, uh, for uh, in, uh, Oracle of Moldaya. And I think that was it. Yeah, yeah I don't think like I would typically other. recommend you splash your fixing but <laughs> <laughs> sure Look, whatever this was uh about. yeah this was no ordinary deck oh i know i had a spider spawning that was the other card um and then then you actually start to get some power in there uh, i will say oracle of moldai was maybe the best card in the deck and i think it was worth splashing splashing for lana were elves uh maybe maybe don't do that if you're planning on winning games but win games i did i, I went uh, i went six, i went 3-0 with it so uh i think i actually went 3060 with that deck. It was a really good time. Uh, ended up with a couple self mill uh, synergies. So I picked up a late Shieldred. I already had a couple ways to reanimate. I picked up an Ashen Rider and then I got a Skullport Merchant, which I didn't really think about. But after playing a game, I realized I could set up this disgusting loop where I would have Ashen Rider in play, sacrifice it to the Skullport Merchant, exile one of my opponent's things, and then use the Shieldred to bring it back. This is old Shieldred, the one that reanimates stuff and makes your opponent sack. So I had this loop of just sacking Ashen Rider over and over again every turn to exile all my opponent's lands. And this was actually a pretty good strategy in cube. Uh, exile all of your opponent's lands. <laughs> Love me a good Ponza strategy. Yeah. Got to draft uh, Dominaria Remastered as well with the same gang. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, really enjoyed that draft format too. Funny enough, I once again drafted Obzon Reanimator, except this was green-black focused with a, a bit of a white splash. Had some good cards, uh, ended up going 2-1 with the deck. I, I had a Yawgmoth in the deck, and uh, turns out the only way to beat a Yawgmoth is with a better Yawgmoth deck, because uh, <laughs> I did I did die to an opponent who had their own Yawgmoth, and their Yawgmoth was uh, full art and mine was not, so yeah, you can imagine how that turned out. Yeah, clearly the better of the two. On to uh, number three of our 11Zs. There were some cards banned from standard. This doesn't happen that often, right? No, not to... I mean, it's been... I feel like... It, it hasn't in a while. There was the the ban era of Watsi's standard magic where like every set they were printing cards like Oko and Uro and all these O cards yeah. that were blue-green that needed to be banned immediately. So we haven't had it in a while. We did get a handful of, of bans. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Reflection of Kiki-Jiki, Invoke Despair, and Reckoner Bankbuster all banned in standard. I mean, nothing was banned from Limited, so I don't know that I care too much. But um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. That would be, uh, you know, I, I fine. I don't know the decks in standard well enough to know whether this is like really, really needed. But given they haven't banned anything in a while, I'm going to guess that it probably was. That's a lot of cards to ban at once, though, from the same format. Yeah, it seems like they really wanted to put a nail in the black red coffin. And finally, a card that I've always hated, Reckoner Bankbuster. That thing, I've never enjoyed that type of card. Uh, these like two mana artifacts where you pay to tap and draw a card. I feel like they enable really repetitive strategies. These these big mid-range decks that just get free card draw and then may as well become control decks. Uh, I, I just don't really like the way they play out. And the Bankbuster, uh, it did that while also stifling the more aggressive decks like uh, like White Weenies or something like that. 
because of the way uh, Bankbuster, you could just crew it instead of having it just sit back and be a uh, like a car draw engine. Funny enough, there was a, a white deck that performed well at the I think it was the, the Arena Championship, and it was a mono white weenies deck that played Reckoner Bankbuster and and a bunch of those like what was it the something pilot it's like a one mana two one and it could crew vehicles as if its power was three instead so that, that was a wacky little list that was kind of cool uh invoke despair needed to go black just the fact that it had such clean efficient removal against enchantments and planeswalkers and creatures and then also it was just card advantage i mean th- th- this is just a very very strong magic card and it was just super unfun to play against and uh fable the mirror breaker is Maybe the strongest card in the format. It's one of the strongest cards printed in the last five years, for sure. Uh, turns out it's just incredible. Just so much value on both sides. Uh, plus the hand filtering that you get. It, it just does it all. This card did need to go. Now, I got to admit, I was hoping it would be Blood Tithe Harvester that got the ban. In hindsight, that wouldn't really do enough to damage the black-red deck. They would just play a bunch of, I don't know, shades instead uh or some other random nonsense card that, that's a two drop that they could jam into the deck but uh it would have been kind of cool to have a draft draft hero be so good it had to be banned right yeah we did have a pretty good track record of draft draft heroes making a, like at least having some limelight in in a in a constructed format so would have been kind of cool to top that cake with uh one of the draft draft heroes getting banned but hey can't have everything next up here number four there's a fancy new pioneer deck in town and it's actually starting to make waves in Modern and Explorer. It's Boros Convoke. Uh, have you seen a list for this? I haven't seen a full list, but I have seen screenshots of battlefields with this deck. <laughs> um, I mentioned That's all Dorian. you need to see. Yeah, I mentioned Dorian in the uh, the listener question of the week, and he's been posting some some pretty interesting screenshots of his games. The deck looks pretty sweet. I'm surprised you even wanted to talk about it, though, because it runs Venerated Loxodon, and it, it's called Boros uh, Convoke, so it wants to convoke out the Loxodon. I know. Okay, okay. Soapbox time. The Venerated Loxodon, people would put this card in their Mono White Weenies deck ages ago, and this is when it was like, it was seeing major standard play. Uh, I played it then in standard just on arena and I, I, I didn't understand why people would play this card. It's why? like, it's you, perfect. You t- that's exactly where you want it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it looks like that, but here's the thing. If you tap out and you, you tap all your creatures to cast this thing, or even tap like three creatures to cast this thing, put counters on it. You know what you weren't doing with those creatures? Oh, I don't know. Like attacking or something, attacking your opponent. The thing that white weenies decks need to do to win. What do you want to give your opponent another turn to draw their board wipe? To, to draw their brotherhood's end? Like, does that seem like a good idea? I don't think so. So now there's eight copies of this stupid Loxodon. All right, I got I to gotta cool down. Uh, the Knight Errant of Eos, uh, which is a cool card. It has the same exact mana cost. It's uh, four and a white, and you can convoke it. So now that there's eight copies, usually eight copies is like a rule. If there's eight copies of an effect, you can probably build a deck around it and then draw it reasonably when you need to every game. Now this deck, it, it really leans into the vector here. And I got to say, this is the best home for a card like Venerated Loxodon. It's not, you know, taking turn three off of attacking or four off of attacking. It's taking turn two off of attacking. And that's okay when on turn three you attack for 30 <laughs> using uh, uh, one of these ridiculous overruns uh, that, that this uh, deck has access to. There's the, the, the Leonin with Mutate from Ikoria. That thing can really just send a billion damage at your face on turn three or four. The problem I have with these, these cards, the, uh, the Loxodon and the, the Knight Errant, you can't take turn four off of attacking. And that's how the White Weenies decks use them. But this goes way lower than the White Weenies decks. This can make like four one ones 
on turn two, and then you just convoke it out. Uh, I think you'd probably like the play style of this one. People are starting to adopt some sideboard plans against it. Um, festivity, or what is it? Festivities end, end the festivities, whatever that thing is. Uh, one damage to each creature your opponents control. This plays a billion different 1-1 tokens. So ways to hate on 1-1 tokens are going to be strong against it. Uh, that being said, I'm only, I'm 3-2 against this deck on the ladder using uh, Mono White. It feels like a pretty even matchup, but I feel like maybe maybe putting in like a Baneslayer Angel type card to, to my White Weenies deck is like a one or one or two of sideboard slot. It would really mess this deck up because this deck does rely on just floating the board, getting in for a billion. Yeah, it sounds like your deck needs a venerated Loxodon, but you know who, <laughs> what am I? Who, who am I to say? Yeah, I guess no you could run the Moonbringer Valkyrie if you're. Yeah, there is the Moonbringer. Uh, that'd be pretty good in that deck too. Uh, I'm trying to think other ways. There's also the backside of Redain, um, the mm-hmm. Valkmira's Shield. I think it's called. Uh, it makes your opponents uh, have to have to uh, pay to uh, deal damage to things, or uh, maybe that wouldn't be that good. Oh, actually, I know what you could do. You could sideboard in that annoying card from uh, Eldrain. The 3-2 Flyer, it's an Archon. Uh, it is protection from white, and it makes your opponents pay one mana for each attacking creature. It does cost four, though, so it's a little slow. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll just get hated out of the format by, like, red sweepers. I'd be okay with that. All right. Next up, for number five of our 11Zs, we've got Lord of the Rings artwork and adaptations. Yeah. We got a bunch uh, of spoilers. We're going to talk about spoilers next, but the art in this format, they've done some really interesting things with the art. I mean, one of the, one of the coolest things I think I've seen them do in a long time art wise is take, what was it like 12 or 15 or even more cards? The mm, altar, yeah. like the, the full, uh, borderless versions are one massive piece of art that they cut up and made work for, uh, yeah, I think it's like 15 or 20 cards. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that. I'm excited to maybe sort of collect all of those and, hang them up like that. That would be <laughs> I mean, a cool that's, thing to frame on the wall. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What a cool collector idea. I mean, especially for a set that otherwise you might not necessarily want to open a ton of packs of, right? I mean, who knows what this is going to have value-wise for a commander or modern or whatever. Um, well, it is draft. Really enjoyed so. it. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm absolutely planning on drafting this format. I'm probably going to make a commander deck or two out of this because I've loved some of these legends. Uh, the new Aragorn. Awesome. Four colors, all good stuff. Uh, and as a side note, there have been some, maybe the, the lowest common denominator, the, the worst people in the magic community that take some issues in the way that uh, the magic is cho- chosen to reinterpret the, the original story. And I don't know. I don't think we have any of those listening to our podcast. I would hope not. I've seen just some really despicable racist stuff on Twitter this week. Uh, but if you are out there and you're questioning, you know, like, oh, it's not authentic. It's not you know, exactly what Tolkien said. Um, I guess the question I posed to you is, why is that so important? And shouldn't everyone get the opportunity to see themselves represented in the media that they love? Anywho. So let's talk, let's talk actual spoilers. Ben, you haven't really had an opportunity to look through a lot of these spoilers. No. In fact, uh, it's been such a busy week. I, I haven't looked at the spoiler page once. I've only just seen some cards crop up on Twitter here or there. Uh, I think I kind of just want to go to the spoilers page and Maybe you tell me some things that you're excited for. So one thing I'll say where I'm excited about, we did get a look and I didn't watch the stream. So maybe they explained it more than just the card, but we did get a look at what the ring tempting you does. Mm. So there is a token a la adventures um, that is just called the ring. And it's like a borderless kind of token almost. Um, It looks kind of interesting, but the... 
basically, uh, the way this works is it says, as the ring tempts you, you get an emblem named the ring. So it's an emblem, like it's not a token. Uh-huh. If you don't, if you don't already have one, then your emblem gains its next ability and you choose a creature you control to become or remain your ring bearer. Okay. Then there are a few sub rules. The ring can tempt you even if you don't control a creature. It, the ring gains its abilities in order from top to bottom. And then once it gains an ability, it has that ability for the rest of the game. So they stack. And then each time the ring tempts you, you must choose a creature if you control one. And each player can have only one emblem named the ring and only one ring bearer at a time. So handful of rules there. Those are whatever they are. The actual text on the card, though, says so the first ability it gets is that your ring bearer is legendary and can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. So let's them sneak through, which I think makes cool. a lot of sense. Hobbit, hobbit like. Right. Well, and it, you know, it makes them invisible regardless of whether they're a hobbit or not. So, oh, oh, okay. I get it. Oh, it just makes them invisible. Never mind. That, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I guess it would make more sense if it just said they can't be blocked, period. But yeah. there are ways to detect somebody who's wearing the ring. Anyway, the second ability is whenever your ring bearer attacks, draw a card, then discard a card. Seems fine. I don't really know how that fits into the the ring but cool it's a fine effect the third is whenever your ring bearer becomes blocked by a creature that creature's controller sacrifices it at the end of combat which Hmm. is kind of interesting because it has to be blocked at this point it now has to be blocked by a creature with less power than yours so i guess if you if your ring bearer was like a three one or something this would still be relevant but maybe if it tries to bump with yours and that neither would die then it dies right yeah it would still die yeah that's true. And then the last ability is whenever your ring bearer deals combat damage to a player, each opponent loses three life. Huh. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah. And all it takes is like you getting te- that. The, th- the interesting thing is this is just an emblem that sits on the board that like you're just getting extra value out of cards. And every time your ring, like a card says the ring tempts you, you can change the ring bearer, which I think is really good. Mm. The effects stay the same. Like you'll, you'll stack up to those four effects and that's it. You can't like get more than one copy of this and stack those on top of each other. But you can move the ring bearer around, which I think is really cool. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through my draws on the ground. These cards are incredible. They made second breakfast and a combat trick. They sure did. And it makes a food token. I'm I'm, I'm in love with this. I'm actually mad about that card. (laughs) Why is that? Look at the color. You know what deck I can't? Put oh, it that doesn't in? go. In, it doesn't go in your in your food deck. Oh no, it's not black green, dude. You might have to make it Obzon. I don't have a commander that makes it Obzon. Oh, here's one. How about Bilbo birthday celebrant? White, black, green for a two three. <laughs> if you would gain life, gain that much plus one. Uh, five tap exile him. Search the library for any number of creatures and put them onto the battlefield. Activate only if you have a hundred and eleven life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you that's gotta something. be a. a Notably, this is when Bilbo famously chooses to disappear uh, to Rivendell in, in the book. Uh, during his 111th birthday, uh, <laughs> he just pieces out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, really awesome. it does that. It exiles him. That's so funny. Yeah, really, really cool. The designs on these, the top-down designs on these are phenomenal. One card I was really kind of frustrated with was Sauron the White. Mm. They just made him mono blue, and I don't understand why. Like Saruman the White was definitely had black in his color identity. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, if you're working that close with Sauron, yeah. Right. Like you're, even amasses orcs. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amassing orcs. What a fun, flavorful way to tie in a, a previous mechanic. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, something I, I look at from the teaching perspective, you don't want to overload someone with too many new things at once. But right. amass, if you're playing during War of the Spark, you remember what amass does. Amass orcs? Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Uh, that way, it, it kind of balances with the relative complexity of, A, all these new mechanics, uh, like the, the ring and the ring bearer and all that. I mean, that alone is pretty complex. 
Uh, and they kept it simple with the other ones, right? A mass and I guess a uh, food. Yeah, food is is a big one, which I love because there are a lot of now I do have some extra cards to put in my food decks, but they made so many yeah. of them have white in the in the mana cost. them just like well, a butter bird, hobbits, Bree, right? innkeeper. Like, come on. Why did you? Yeah, but just make a mono green. Come on. Watson, you know that I'm trying step. to build this deck. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. At the beginning of your end step, if you don't control food, make a food. That, that's fun. Yeah. Like a lot of these cards just seem really fun. I think that again, the top-down designs are really cool. Gandalf White Rider is pretty fun. Um, four mana three three vigilance. Whenever you cast a spell, creatures you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn, scry one, and when he dies, you can put him back in your library fifth from the top. Ah, uh, so makes never, sense. He never really dies. Uh yeah. really cool. Um, let's see, what else was really awesome? Um Sauron seemed interesting, though underwhelming to me. I I kind of thought they were gonna do more with him, but that's that's okay. Wow, um, the art on cast into the fire. That's a cool one. Yep. Phenomenal. Also, have you seen long list of the ends? Oh, I did see that one. That's so funny. So good. Awesome top down design. I mean, the ends, of course, known for speaking very slow. Whenever they have a meeting, they they list off all their names <laughs> in order and, yeah. and greet each other. Uh, yeah, no, th- th- this is great. And there's other oh, some end cards, too. Let's see. Yep, Generous and gets gets a bunch of bu- uh, buffs, basically. Yeah. Oh, wow. The Witch King. This is this is too good. I don't know. I, I, I'm very excited to see what else. There's a saga called One Ring to Rule Them All. I'm sold. Sure Best is. set ever made. That okay. card's actually like read that. That card is actually like four really mana. Cool. All right. So it's a, it's two, and a, it's two black black. Yeah. Two black black. The ring tempts you. Then each player mills cards equal to your ring bearer's power. Destroy all non-legendary creatures. Your ring bearer would be uh, a, le- a legend. So. Yeah. Then each opponent loses one life for each creature card in that player's graveyard. Huh. Oh, nice. That is good. I was actually thinking of there and back again. There and back again is one of the best top down designs I've ever seen. So first of all, the art's phenomenal, but it's a five mana, three red, red, uh, rare saga. The first chapter is up to one target creature. Can't block for as long as you control there and back again. The ring tempts you. The second is search your library for a mountain card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So you're going to the lonely mountain. Cool. You find one man and then, the third is create Smaug, a, a legendary 6-6 red dragon with uh, flying haste. And when this creature dies, create 14 treasure tokens. There just so happen to be 14 dwarves in the oh my group God. that killed him. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. That's so good. This Galadriel, Saruman of many colors. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, got I, I have the, no complaints about this. Fangorn. New, oh, man. Yep. Fangorn's there. We got the new um, Frodo and, and Samwise. Like, cause we had seen like a few of them and we know that like there are three or four different copies of Frodo and Sam in the, in the set. Um, so we got to right, see right. extra versions of those. Another complaint that I had originally that I'm not so sure I still have anymore is that, and this is kind of interesting. The first version. So they're printed a couple versions of, of Pippin and Mary. The first of them is Peregrine Tuke, two and a green for a two, three halfling citizen fool of if a one or more tokens. Yeah. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus an additional food token are created instead. Definitely cool. going in my, uh, my food deck. Yeah. And then Mary attic brandy buck one and a green for a two, two halfling citizen at uncommon. Whenever one or more halflings, you control attack a player, create a food token. Oh, so they work really well together. Both very fitting. Both work well together, but then yeah. there's second printings. And now I've come around on this. I think this was actually a really good design, but originally I was kind of upset about it. Their second printings, we have Mary, Esquire of Rohan, which is red, white, no more green, red, white. Okay. For a halfling knight, no longer a citizen. It's a 2-2 with haste, has first strike as long as it's equipped, 
And whenever you attack with Mary and another legendary creature, draw a card. Weird, but, but pretty good. You know, classic equipment payoff. Right. So my my complaint was that they, they got rid of the original green, and I don't think Mary had that much of a transformation that he completely lost his roots. But yeah. red-white does feel very fitting for the Mary we see in Return of the King. So yeah. it makes sense, but I was also kind of upset about it. And then for Pippin, we see Pippin, Guard of the Citadel, now white-blue. Again, green is gone. White-blue, 2-2 two, two Halfling Soldier. It has Vigilance, Ward 1, and then it has Tap. Another target creature you control gains protection from the card type of your choice until end of turn. Huh, from the card type. Okay, so these two do work well together. You can send in with both of them. Pippin can tap to protect Mary, uh, and then Mary will trigger the draw card. I'm okay with it. This is cool. Yeah, I was mostly just kind of confused by the the way they did the color identities on these. I guess blue-white makes yeah. sense for Pippin. I just don't like that they got rid of green entirely. Like I would have preferred red, green, and green-white. Uh, uh-huh. Green, blue, rather, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it just rubbed me wrong the first time. I think the I guess hobbits. Sense, but. I mean, hobbits are are probably base white, right? Like as a as a as a general way, in, the, in the way they're portrayed yeah, as probably. like a character in the book. Like the species of hobbit are seen as like these uh, almost idealistic uh, people that that will love and have fun and and drink and party, uh, and then when necessary, go beat up a demon. Yeah, I always kind of had them as base green in my head, but I think they do fit a lot of the white color identity stuff that we're used to seeing. So now let's move on to number seven of our 11. Let's chat about the one ring. There was a tweet from Frank Karsten this week where he mentioned that uh, in a promotional picture released by Wizards, I think it's part of the, the release stream, that there's a uh, an under point zero 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 three. So it says percent chance of cracking the one ring may have uh, added or subtracted a zero in there, but come on, like that's, that's pretty absurd. Yeah. It looks like it's uh point five, it's five zeros and then a three. So, but it says less than that percentage. And then Frank Carson released this thing cause he's the math wizard that he is and said that those odds imply there's roughly 30, uh, 3.33 million English collector boosters. And if that's the case, then this card alone contributes about 30 cents to the pack EV at least until one un, until it's opened right and then once it's opened it's that that additional value goes away but on average it's adding about 30 cents to what is like a 27 or 28 dollar pack i mean that's definitely the most significant we've seen <laughs> yeah uh i'm not going to lie if i get the chance maybe like the day of release i might i might crack a pack or two it's like playing the lottery you know it's not good ev for you yeah well, and also frank in, in in his post is assuming that the one ring like the card itself has a value of a million dollars which i just don't think is that accurate like i i don't i don't think it's going to be worth a million bucks well I'll just wait till i open it and then sell it for two million then then we'll see who's right. talking well that's still not worth a million at that case so. <laughs> yeah okay you got me uh speaking of of potential bounties being put out uh just so you're all aware cassius marsh uh Football player and magic uh, nerd extraordinaire who I think uh, I think his store is called Cash Cards. Um, cool magic player in the community uh, has put out a bounty of one hundred fifty thousand dollars on the serialized one ring card. Uh, and he claims that if you can prove that you opened it, he will fly you out to California, go party with you and then buy the ring off of you. And honestly, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty fun. You know, I'm in. 
Yeah, this might be the only set I ever buy a collector booster for. Assuming I can get my hands on one before somebody announces they've opened it. I mean, what, are, oh, what do yeah. you think? Are, are people opening this day the day set releases? Like, yeah, like they, does this get cracked pack like immediately? Like or I is guess this they have a we little gotta control. wait months to find out. They have a little control over this, right? Like they get to decide what shipment it goes out with. I mean, they do they? I mean, I would hope they don't know. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. If, if somebody knows, yeah. they're not letting that get in a shipment. <laughs> yeah that's true how do you randomize this being sent out um but hmm. this is about as close as we get to like a willy wonka golden ticket kind of situation i think it's it's so much fun like i i'm and because it's not like mechanically unique or anything it's the one ring this is so funny of course everyone's gonna be like imagine you crack this at your fnm do you even tell people you're going to get mugged on your way out the door. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I mean, it, it would be pretty hard not to hide. Like it would be pretty hard to hide the surprise and just like elation that you would get opening this at a draft table, but except then drafting collector boosters. So then immediately like five people around you start going, Ooh, precious. And then, and then <laughs> yeah. before you know it, like you're running. Well, the funny thing is they did this in a, in a very interesting way. And I think this only really works with something like the one ring. Cause it's a Lord of the Rings thing. And it makes sense that it's the one ring. They printed like 80 versions of the one ring. It just so happens yeah. that one of them yeah. is worth a lot of money. <laughs> and, and we should mention, this isn't the only serialized card. There's also the, uh, the rings that are distributed to the races. There, there's the rings right. for the elves and the rings for the dwarves. Um, n- numbered, I think in a hundred multiple of how they're distributed in the book. Uh, yeah. so uh, there's going to be a bunch of other, I mean, those things I've seen the, uh, the serialized cards of, of other, you know, just relative staples, uh, going for hundreds of dollars. So honestly, even just cracking one of those, uh, would be pretty sweet and, and definitely well worth your money. Um, yeah. I think I, I might pick up a, a couple of these, not too much, you know, not coming up oh, on straight I, up gambling. I go with one, one and done. The other thing is these are going to have some sick alt arts of a lot of cards in the set that I genuinely do want to collect. So uh, it's not like this is like a, a standard legal booster pack of like, imagine this is like a, a brother's war pack that they put this in. No, you, you couldn't pay me to open a bunch of bro uh, collector boosters, but this set of cool cards, like some of these alt arts with like the ring art, they're gorgeous. Speaking of universes beyond, uh, number eight here. Are we on a slippery slope? Now, we like this because we like Lord of the Rings. It just so happens a lot of Magic players like Lord of the Rings. But what happens when they decide to do something similar to make a set that's legal in modern, legal in historic, being put on arena and advertised as the main draft set of the moment? What if they decide to do this for something that you know, you're not as big a fan of. I mean, I'm not the biggest D&D fan in the world. Um, just never really got into it, even though it's kind of right up my alley. I really should get into that sometime. I, I guess I'll, I don't only have time for so many nerd activities. But uh, even just then, I was like, all right, it's D&D themed. Like, whatever, I, I'm okay with this. What happens when it's something that we just, you know, just isn't our thing, you know? So here's the thing with Universes Beyond. They did do the Warhammer 40K. And they mm. did that just as Commander Dex. There were a handful of cards from those decks that I think actually became kind of commander staples. Yeah, there are. I don't think I like that. I don't know that I care. Um, the The interesting thing is I think they did this very thoughtfully. Mm. I would argue, and I have no actual data to back this up, total speculation, but I would argue that D&D, the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, was a precursor to couldn't they print Lord of the Rings as a set and not have people be completely furious? If you think about it from a mm. timeline perspective yeah. and how far ahead they are with the sets that they make, I think it lines up almost perfectly. And I 
I think that they did that because here's the thing. Lord of the Rings fits into magic's ethos very, very well. We've got like magical stuff, you know, we've got like wizards and artifacts, knights and soldiers and this grand story (laughs) overarching the whole thing. We have, uh, we have Kithkin that are functionally just hobbits, (laughs) right? So this one feels like magic, even though we see names that are very clearly Lord of the Rings. I don't think because and Ben was asking me before the show, like this one's a full set. They put a lot of work into this. It's draftable. It's going to be modern legal, all these different things. I don't think they can get away with that in any sort of like with a full set for just any IP. But Mm -hmm. I think they very specifically picked Lord of the Rings for this because it already fits so well. And they've already kind of demoed it with uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. That said, I do think this is potentially a slippery slope. I think it's a, a clear it could be a clear cash grab if they just start like trying to bring all these random IPs into the place. Um, I think they need to be very careful about which ones they use and how they use them. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see a kingdom hearts universes. Beyond oh man. Set. Because think about it. Kingdom hearts already is like a universes beyond thing. That's true. Except now there's Lorcana, a, a direct competitor. I haven't heard of this. Oh, it's, it's a new, uh, Disney trading card game right now. It's just like a lot of their, um, oh their original myths and fables and that type of thing. But um, it, it looks like they might start expanding it in other things. Who knows? They might have Star Wars cards before we know it. So I, I wouldn't expect to see any yeah, Disney-related property anytime soon. <laughs> Kingdom, Not Kingdom while Lorcana exists. Yeah. Yeah. I would Sorry to, to see blow that, your though. bubble. That's okay. And I've, I have designed an Avatar Last Airbender set or parts of one anyway. I can't remember how right, far I got yeah. with it. That would be really cool to see because I, I think that one could also fit nicely into this, mm-hmm. um, into like the magic ethos. I think they just need to be careful about what they're going to turn into a full set. All the supplemental products, uh, commander and secret layers and all that kind of stuff. I don't really care. Yeah, that's true. I don't really mind those. Um, It's the full sets that really, the ones that get inserted into common constructed formats. uh, Those ones get a little dicey, but honestly, give me like a Zelda secret layer. I'll buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. But I also like this, the, the fact that this is a full set that we can draft means that I don't have to go drop a ton of money on this secret layer that only has four copies of a card, like doesn't right, even have yeah. a full play set in it and all those kinds of things. Like these cards will be accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to be able to get our hands on these. If you, if you do want to play them in your decks or you need to play them in your decks or whatever that is. Um, and I think I'm, I'm totally fine with that. This is the kind of set that I might even pick up a box to some, like maybe someday draft in like three years, you know, just, just for like to hold on to the experience. Cause I, I absolutely adore a lot of these designs. The art's fantastic love these characters as I have for years. <laughs> so uh, th- this is one that I am a particularly big fan of. Great job, Wizards. Uh, hopefully they kind of learn the right lessons from this. Yeah, I'm going to wait to draft it before I decide whether or not I'm going to buy a box. But mm. if the draft format's really good, maybe I'll do that as well. Yeah, good call. So uh, a little update about Discord for number nine here. There's going to be a new uh, a new channel and it's going to consist of a thread of all the Draft Chaff heroes. Uh, Nathan in Discord brought this to my attention and I just had this idea and kind of shouted it out. And I was like, actually, that is a great idea. I, it should be easier to see a big list of all the Draft Chaff heroes. So by the time this episode goes live, you'll be able to see a, a full list of all of our Draft Chaff heroes in chronological order. Uh, just c- kind of take a walk down memory lane and uh, take a look at how many of them have showed up and constructed because... I mean, once Draft Chaff Hero, you know, sometimes they end up popping up, making waves if they're that on the border. And uh, we've had a... Number 10 here is actually something new for us. We've never done this before, but one of our longest time listeners and 
previous podcast host himself, has decided to give us some tips and tricks on March of the Machine. Hi, so I'm Sydney, also known as Cobra 305, and as of this recording, I'm currently sitting at the top of the Draft Shaft Discord trophy leaderboard for March of the Machine with 23 trophy decks. I am beating out second place winner Ben Fisher by a full five trophies. So Ben and Zach have invited me on their podcast to say, get wrecked. Okay, just kidding. Uh, actually, they have very kindly invited me to do a guest spot, and I'm really honored to be recording this. I've been listening to Draft Chaff since episode five of the podcast back in 2020, and it's been a great time. Uh, I really enjoy the show. Since I've been doing really well with this format, it's one of my favorite formats of all time. I want to share my top three tips for drafting that are good for both March the Machine and other formats. Tip number one, listen to the data more. You know, I think you hear a lot of content creators, a lot of podcasters talk about reasons you shouldn't fully trust the data. But personally, I think the data is way better at evaluating cards than I am, and I'm a pretty strong player. My recommendation is to go on 17 lands, uncheck everything except game and hand win rate, sort all the cards, and then as you're playing through a draft and arena, just look up every single card that you are considering picking. This is especially useful early in a format where you can check your assumptions, but even later on, there's still a lot you can learn. For example, did you know that Order of the Mirror, the 2-1 knight for two that transforms, that's the fifth worst blue common. Renata, Call to the Hunt, that's the legendary green creature that adds counters, is the worst green uncommon by the data. And did you know that Arachnoid Adaption, that's the one mana green instant that untaps your creature, that is the strongest green common by the data. If those card evaluations weren't on your radar, you could learn a lot from the data, even if you don't fully agree with it, knowing that so many players are losing with Renata in their deck means that if you are considering that card viable at all before, you should highly revise that. Tip number two, after you draft, instead of cutting cards from your deck, just build your deck from scratch. Start by putting in the 10 to 15 cards that you'll know that you know you'll play, the preening champions, deadly derisions, all your rare bombs, and then fill in around those cards depending on what you need. So maybe you need two drops, maybe you need more removal, maybe you just need synergy like uh, small creatures to go with your Beamtown beat stick. I find it's much easier to assemble a cohesive deck this way instead of starting with like 30 cards and trying to figure out which ones to cut. Just start with the cards you know you'll play and then add cards until you get to 23. Tip number three. This is borrowed from Alex Nikolic's Quarter Calls podcast, Limited Level Ups. So you may have heard this before. Draft what you're drafting until you can't. So basically, once you're in an archetype, just keep taking cards in that archetype and only take cards outside it when you're trading off a filler card versus a premium card. So let's say you've got four or five white and blue cards. So you're pretty solidly in white and blue knights, and there's a Bola Swinger and a Volcanic Spite in the pack. Now, Volcanic Spite is a slightly better card than Bola Swinger, but Bola Swinger is totally fine in your deck. It's pretty good. So just take that. Don't worry about trying to pivot into another archetype. The situation where you would take the Volcanic Spite is maybe you're picking between it and a Core Halberd. At that point, Core Halberd's a filler card that you might not even play in White Blue Knights, whereas Volcanic Spite is a premium card in another archetype. So that's the point where you would want to pivot. So just to reiterate those three tips, listen to the data more, build your deck from scratch instead of cutting cards after the draft, and then when you're navigating a draft, draft what you're drafting until you can't. Those are the three things I wanted to share. Thanks again, Ben and Zach, for the invitation. Really love your show, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to appear on it.
Thanks, Koga, for not going too hard on me. Uh, in the future, I think I'd like to make this a thing. If you can top me in one of the uh, the leaderboards, then you know maybe there's a guest spot in your future too. This is something we might relegate to like sign offs or things in the future, but it just kind of fit really well into this episode. And last but not least, number 11Zs, we have an anniversary announcement. We've got our third Draft Chaff anniversary coming up in just two weeks from this episode release. And uh, we've got something a little wacky planned. So I'm not going to say anything else. Just uh, know that the episode that drops in two weeks, it's going to be interesting. All right. That about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Definitely jump into the Discord if you're not already in there. We'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge thanks again to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. You can also support us by going to our store, shop.draftchaff.com where you can pick up different apparel and things of that nature. And if you want to find us on Twitter, we'll be at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks. We'll catch you next week. So I mentioned that I haven't had too much free time. wasn't totally true. I've had a couple hours here and there, a couple 20-minute windows. And in those windows, I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom. And man, this is, this is a game. <laughs> uh, I, I have this theory that the best game of all time probably is Minecraft, just from the way the cultural impact, the, uh, the, the breadth that it, that it conveys, uh, just in how it works. And Tears of the Kingdom is a lot like Minecraft in that it gives you the tools to do some really, really wacky stuff. And you're really bound only by your imagination. Uh, I've seen people create hover drones that drop automated robot tanks to go hunt down these poor Bokoblins that are just running around in a field. Uh, people have made ridiculous contraptions. I saw someone made a, they made a horse washing station with like a conveyor belt. What does that even, what does that even mean? I saw someone make a, uh, they built a, an LED. They built like a diode with, with, I don't even, I hadn't even locked some of those parts yet. So, uh, this is something special and to everyone out there who's been maybe on the edge about getting it this is the one <laughs>